This year, Peloton is gifting you their best offer of the season. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Shop from a variety of accessories such as cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, and more. Whether you have 10 minutes to spare for a strength class or 30 minutes for a running or cycling class, there's a workout that works for you with music that is truly iconic. So don't miss out on Peloton's best offer of the season. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Together with Wikipedia, I'll help you fall asleep. Get cozy and relax, and I'll read to you out loud. Today, the Manson family. About the murderous hippie community. The Manson family was a commune, gang, and cult led by Charles Manson that was active in California in the late 1960s and early 1970s. The group consisted of approximately 100 followers, who lived an unconventional lifestyle with habitual use of hallucinogenic drugs such as LSD. Most were young women from middle-class backgrounds, many of whom were radicalized by Manson's teachings and drawn by hippie culture and communal living. Soon after the release from prison in 1967, Manson, who had been institutionalized or incarcerated for more than half of his life, began attracting acolytes in the San Francisco area. They gradually moved to a rundown ranch called the Spawn Ranch in Los Angeles County. The ranch burned down during a Southern California wildfire in September of 1970. According to group member Susan Atkins, the members of the family were convinced that Manson was a manifestation of Jesus Christ and believed in his prophecies concerning an imminent apocalyptic race war. In 1969, family members Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Krenwinkel entered the home of Hollywood actress Shannon Tate and murdered her and four others. Linda Kasabian was also present, but did not take part. Members of the Manson family were also responsible for a number of other murders, assaults, petty crimes, and thefts. Following his release from prison on March 22, 1967, Charles Manson moved to San Francisco, where, with the help of a prison acquaintance, he moved into an apartment in Berkeley. In prison, bank robber Alvin Karpus had taught Manson to play the steel guitar. Living mostly by begging, Manson soon became acquainted with Mary Brunner, a 23-year-old graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Brunner was working as a library assistant at the University of California, Berkeley, and Manson moved in with her. According to a second-hand account, he overcame her resistance to his bringing other women in to live with them. Before long, they were sharing Brunner's residence with 18 other women. Manson established himself as a guru in San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury district, which, during 1967's Summer of Love, was emerging as a signature hippie locale. Manson may have borrowed some of his philosophy from the Process Church of the Final Judgment, 
whose members believed Satan would become reconciled to Jesus and they would come together at the end of the world to judge humanity. Manson soon had the first of his groups of followers, which were later dubbed the Manson family by Bugliosi and the media, most of them female. Manson allegedly taught his followers that they were the reincarnation of the original Christians and that the Romans were the establishment. Sometime around 1967, he began using the alias Charles Willis Manson. Before the end of the summer, Manson and some of the women piled into an old school bus they had redesigned in hippie style with colored rugs and pillows in place of the many seats they had removed. They traveled, eventually settling in the Los Angeles areas of Topanga Canyon, Malibu, and Venice. In 1967, Brunner became pregnant by Manson and on April 15, 1968, gave birth to a son she named Valentine Michael in a condemned house in Topanga Canyon, assisted during the birth by several of the young women from the family. Brunner acquired a number of aliases and nicknames. Manson's Presentation of Himself Actor Al Lewis had Manson babysit his children on a couple of occasions and described him as a nice guy when I knew him. Music producer Phil Kaufman introduced Manson to Universal Studios producer Gary Stromberg, then working on a film adaptation of The Life of Jesus set in modern America, featuring a black Jesus and southern redneck Romans. Stromberg thought that Manson made interesting suggestions about what Jesus might do in a situation, seeming to be attuned to the role. He had one of his women kiss his feet and then kissed hers in return to demonstrate the place of women. At the beach one day, Stromberg watched while Manson preached against a materialistic outlook, only to be questioned about his well-furnished bus. He casually tossed the bus keys to the doubter, who promptly drove it away while Manson watched, apparently unconcerned. According to Stromberg, Manson had a dynamic personality with an ability to read a person's weaknesses and manipulate them. Meant with Wilson, Melcher, and others. Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys picked up Patricia Krenwinkel and Ella Jo Bailey when they were hitchhiking in late spring 1968, while under the influence of alcohol and LSD, and brought them to his Pacific Palisades house for a few hours. He returned home in the early hours of the following morning from a night recording session and was greeted by Manson in the driveway, who emerged from the house. Wilson asked the stranger whether he intended to hurt him. Manson assured him that he had no such intent and began kissing Wilson's feet. Inside the house, Wilson discovered twelve strangers, mostly women. The account given in Manson in His Own Words is that Manson first met Wilson at a friend's San Francisco house, where Manson had gone to obtain marijuana. Manson claimed that Wilson gave him his Sunset Boulevard address and invited him to stop by when he came to Los Angeles. Wilson said in a 1968 Record Mirror article that he mentioned the Beach Boys' involvement with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi to a group of strange women and they told me they too had a guru, a guy named Charlie. The number of women doubled in Wilson's house over the next few months, 
and they cost him approximately $100,000 by making themselves a part of his household. This included a large medical bill for the treatment of their gonorrhea and $21,000 for the destruction of his uninsured car, which they borrowed. Wilson would sing and talk with Manson while the women were treated as servants to them both. Wilson paid for studio time to record songs written and performed by Manson and introduced him to entertainment business acquaintances, including Greg Jacobson, Terry Melcher, and Rudy Altabelli, who owned a house which he rented to actress Sharon Tate and her husband, Roman Polanski. Jacobson was impressed by the whole Charlie Manson package of artist, lifestylist, and philosopher, and he paid to record his material. Wilson moved out of his rented home when the lease expired, and his landlord evicted the family. Spawn Ranch Manson established a base for the family at the Spawn Ranch in August 1968, after Wilson's landlord evicted them. It had been a television and movie set for westerns, but the buildings had deteriorated by the late 1960s, and the ranch's revenue was primarily derived from selling horseback rides. Female family members did chores around the ranch. The women also acted as seeing eye guides for Spawn. In exchange, Spawn allowed Manson and his group to live at the ranch for free. Lynette Fromm acquired the nickname Squeaky because she often squeaked when Spawn pinched her thigh. Charles Watson, a small-town Texan who had quit college and moved to California, soon joined the group at the ranch. He met Manson at Wilson's house. Watson had given Wilson a ride while Wilson was hitchhiking after his car was wrecked. Spawn nicknamed him Tex because of his pronounced Texas drawl. Encounter with Tate Manson entered 10050 Cielo Drive uninvited on March 23, 1969, which he had known as Melcher's residence. This was Altobelli's property. Melcher was only a previous tenant, and the tenants were now Shannon Tate and Roman Polanski. Manson was met by Sherell Katami, an Iranian photographer who befriended Polanski and Tate during the making of the documentary Mia and Roman. He was there to photograph Tate before her departure for Rome the next day. He had seen Manson through a window as he approached the main house and had gone onto the front porch to ask him what he wanted. Manson told him that he was looking for someone whose name Hatami did not recognize, and Hatami informed him the place was the Polanski residence. He advised Manson to try the back alley by which he meant the path to the guesthouse beyond the main house. He was concerned about the stranger on the property and went down to the front walk to confront Manson. Tate then appeared behind Hatami in the house's front door and asked him who was calling. Hatami said that a man was looking for someone. He and Tate maintained their position while Manson went back to the guesthouse without a word, returned a minute or two later, and left. That evening, Manson returned to the property and again went back to the guesthouse. He entered the enclosed porch and spoke with Altobelli, who was just coming out of the shower. Manson asked for Melcher, but Altobelli felt that Manson had come looking for him. 
This is consistent with Prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi's later discovery that Manson had apparently been to the property on earlier occasions after Melcher's departure from it. Altobelli told Manson through the screen door that Melcher had moved to Malibu, falsely stating that he did not know his new address. Altobelli said that he was in the entertainment business, although he had met Manson the previous year at Wilson's home, and he was sure that Manson already knew that. He had complimented Manson, Luke warmly, on some of his musical recordings that Wilson had been playing. He then informed Manson that he was going out of the country the next day, and Manson said that he would like to speak with him upon his return. Altobelli lied that he would be gone for more than a year. Manson explained that he had been directed to the guest house by the persons in the main house. Altobelli expressed the wish that Manson would not disturb his tenants. Altobelli flew with Tate to Rome the next day, and Tate asked him whether that creepy-looking guy had gone back to the guesthouse the day before. Murders of Tate, Sebring, Folger, Frykowski, and Parent On the night of August 8, 1969, Manson directed Tex Watson to take Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, and Patricia Krenwinkel to Melcher's former home at 10050 Celio Drive in Los Angeles and, according to Watson, kill everyone there. The home had only recently been rented to actress Sharon Tate and her husband, director Roman Polanski. Manson told the three women to do as Watson told them. The family members proceeded to kill the five people they found. Sharon Tate, who was living there at the time, Jay Sebring, Abigail Folger, and Wojtek Frykowski, who were visiting her, and Stephen Parent, who had been visiting the caretaker of the home. Atkins wrote, Pig, with Tate's blood on the front door as they left. The murders created a nationwide sensation. Murder of Leno and Rosemary LaBianca The night of August 9, 1969, seven family members, Leslie Van Houten, Steve Clem Grogan, Charles Manson, and the four from the previous night, drove up to the home of Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. Watson stated that having gone up alone, Manson returned to take him up to the house with him. After Manson pointed out a sleeping man through a window, the two of them entered through the unlocked back door. Watson bound the couple and covered their heads with pillowcases. Manson left, sending Krenwinkel and Van Houten into the house. Watson sent the women to the bedroom where Rosemary was. He then began stabbing Leno with a bayonet. Watson discovered Rosemary swinging a lamp at the women. He stabbed her with the bayonet, then returned to the living room and resumed attacking Leno, whom he stabbed 12 times. Krenwinkel stabbed Rosemary. Watson told Van Houten to stab Mrs. LaBianca too, which she did. Krenwinkel wrote, Rise, and Death to Pigs on the Walls, and Helter Skelter on the refrigerator door in LaBianca's blood. Meanwhile, Manson directed Kasabian to drive to the home of an acquaintance of hers. Manson dropped off Kasabian, Grogan, and Atkins, and drove back to Spawn Ranch. Kasabian allegedly thwarted a murder 
by deliberately knocking on the wrong door. Investigation The Tate murders became national news on August 9, 1969. The Polanski's housekeeper, Winifred Chapman, had arrived for work that morning and discovered the murder scene. On August 10th, detectives of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, which had jurisdiction in the Hinman case, informed Los Angeles Police Department detectives assigned to the Tate case of the bloody writing at the Hinman house. According to Vincent Bugliosi, because detectives believed the Tate murders were a consequence of a drug transaction, the Tate team ignored this and the crime's other similarities. The Tate autopsies were underway and the LaBianca bodies were yet to be discovered. During the Tate autopsies, detectives working on the Gary Hinman case noticed the similarities in the weapons used, the stab wounds, and the writing in blood on the walls. They also thought the case had something to do with narcotics. They brought the information to detectives working on the Tate murders. However, according to Detective Chari Gunther, Vince Bugliosi didn't want anything to do with the Hinman case. Hinman was a nothing case. Vince didn't want to prosecute it. Stephen Parent, the shooting victim in the Tate driveway, was determined to have been an acquaintance of William Garretson, who lived in the guesthouse. Garretson was a young man hired by Rudy Altobelli to take care of the property while Altobelli was away. As the killers arrived, Parent had been leaving Cielo Drive after a visit to Garretson. Held briefly as a Tate suspect, Garretson told police he had neither seen nor heard anything on the murder night. He was released on August 11, 1969, after undergoing a polygraph examination that indicated he had not been involved in the crimes. Interviewed decades later, he stated he had, in fact, witnessed a portion of the murders, as the examination suggested. Garrison died in August 2016. The LaBianca crime scene was discovered at about 10.30 p.m. on August 10th, approximately 19 hours after the murders were committed. 15-year-old Frank Struthers, Rosemary's son from a prior marriage and Leno's stepson, returned from a camping trip and was disturbed by seeing all of the window shades of his home drawn and by the fact that his stepfather's speedboat was still attached to the family car, which was parked in the driveway. He called his older sister and her boyfriend. The boyfriend, Joe Dorgan, accompanied the younger Struthers into the home and discovered Leno's body. Rosemary's body was found by investigating police officers. Breakthrough Still working separately from the Tate team, the LaBianca team checked with the sheriff's office in mid-October about possible similar crimes. They learned of the Hinman case. They also learned that the Hinman detectives had spoken with Beausoleil's girlfriend, Kitty Lutzinger. She had been arrested a few days earlier with members of the Manson family. The arrests for car thefts had taken place at the desert ranches to which the family had moved and where, unknown to authorities, its members had been searching Death Valley for a hole in the ground, access to the bottomless pit. A joint force of National Park Service rangers and officers from the California Highway Patrol and the Inyo County Sheriff's Office 
federal, state, and county personnel had raided both Myers Ranch and Barker Ranch after following clues unwittingly left when family members burned an earth mover owned by Death Valley National Monument. The raiders had found stolen dune buggies and other vehicles and had arrested two dozen people, including Manson. A highway patrol officer had found Manson hiding in a cabinet beneath Barker's bathroom sink. The officers had no idea that the people they were arresting were involved with the murders. Following up leads a month after they had spoken with Lutzinger, LaBianca detectives contacted members of a motorcycle gang Manson tried to enlist as his bodyguards while the family was at Spawn Ranch. While the gang members were providing information that suggested a link between Manson and the murders, a dormitory mate of Susan Atkins informed LAPD of the family's involvement in the crimes. Atkins was booked for the Hinman murder after she told sheriff's detectives that she had been involved in it. Transferred to Sybil Brand Institute, a detention center in Monterey Park, California, she had begun talking to bunkmates Ronnie Howard and Virginia Graham, to whom she gave accounts of the events in which she had been involved. Apprehension On December 1, 1969, acting on the information from these sources, LAPD announced warrants for the arrest of Watson, Krenwinkel, and Kasabian in the Tate case. The suspect's involvement in the LaBianca murders was noted. Mason and Atkins, already in custody, were not mentioned. The connection between the LaBianca case and Van Houten, who was also among those arrested near Death Valley, had not yet been recognized. Watson and Krenwinkel were already under arrest with authorities in McKinney, Texas, and Mobile, Alabama, having picked them up on notice from LAPD. Informed that a warrant was out for her arrest, Kasabian voluntarily surrendered to authorities in Concord, New Hampshire on December 2nd. Before long, physical evidence such as Krenwinkel's and Watson's fingerprints, which had been collected by LAPD at Cielo Drive, and the photographs between 3040 and 41 was augmented by evidence recovered by the public. On September 1, 1969, the distinctive 22 caliber high-standard Buntline Special Revolver Watson had used on Parent, Sebring, and Frykowski had been found and given to the police by Stephen Weiss, a 10-year-old who lived near the Tate residence. In mid-December, when the Los Angeles Times published a crime account based on information Susan Atkins had given her attorney, Weiss's father made several phone calls which finally prompted LAPD to locate the gun in its evidence file and connect it with the murders via ballistics tests. Acting on that same newspaper account, a local ABC television crew quickly located and recovered the bloody clothing discarded by the Tate killers. The knives discarded en route from the Tate evidence were never recovered, despite a search by some of the same crewmen and, months later, by LAPD. A knife found behind the cushion of a chair in the Tate living room was apparently that of Susan Atkins, who lost her knife in the course of the attack. Trial The trial began on June 15, 1970. The prosecution's main witness was Kasabian, who, along with Manson, Atkins, and Krenwinkel, 
had been charged with seven counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Since Kasabian, by all accounts, had not participated in the killings, she was granted immunity in exchange for testimony that detailed the nights of the crimes. Originally, a deal had been made with Atkins, in which the prosecution agreed not to seek the death penalty against her in exchange for her grand jury testimony on which the indictments were secured. Once Atkins repudiated that testimony, the deal was withdrawn. Because Van Houten had participated only in the LaBianca killings, she was charged with two accounts of murder and one of conspiracy. Originally, Judge William Keene had reluctantly granted Manson permission to act as his own attorney. Because of Manson's conduct, including violations of a gag order and submission of, quote, outlandish and nonsensical, end quote, pre-trial motions, the permission was withdrawn before the trial's start. Manson filed an affidavit of prejudice against Keene, who was replaced by Judge Charles Older. On Friday, July 24th, the first day of testimony, Manson appeared in court with an X carved into his forehead. He issued a statement that he was, quote, considered inadequate and incompetent to speak or defend himself and X'd himself from the establishment's world. Over the following weekend, the female defendants duplicated the mark on their own foreheads as did most family members, within another day or so. The prosecution argued the triggering of helter-skelter was Manson's main motive. The crime scene's bloody, white album reference, Helter-Skelter, written by Susan Atkins, and the writing of Pigs, was correlated to testimony about Manson predictions that the murders black people would commit at the outset of helter-skelter would involve the writing of pigs on walls in victims' blood. The defendants testified that the writing in blood on the walls was to copy that of the Hinman murder scene, not an apocalyptic race war. According to Bugliosi, Manson directed Kasabian to hide a wallet taken from the scene in the women's restroom of a service station near a black neighborhood. However, as co-prosecutor Stephen Kay later pointed out, the wallet was actually left about 20 miles away in a predominantly white neighborhood, Silmar. Conviction and Penalty Phase On January 25, 1971, the jury returned guilty verdicts against the four defendants on each of the 27 separate counts against them. Not far into the trial's penalty phase, the jurors saw, at last, the defense that Manson, in the prosecution's view, had planned to present. Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten testified the murders had been conceived as copycat versions of the Hinman murder, for which Atkins now took credit. The killings, they said, were intended to draw suspicion away from Bobby Beausoleil by resembling the crime for which he had been jailed. This plan had supposedly been the work of, and carried out under the guidance of, not Manson, but someone allegedly in love with Beausoleil, Linda Kasabian. Among the narrative's weak points was the inability of Atkins to explain why, as she was maintaining, 
She had written Political Piggy at the Hinman House in the first place. Midway through the penalty phase, Manson shaved his head and trimmed his beard to a fork. He told the press, quote, I am the devil, and the devil always has a bald head, end quote. In what the prosecution regarded as belated recognition on their part that imitation of Manson only proved his domination, the female defendants refrained from shaving their heads until the jurors retired to weigh the state's request for the death penalty. The effort to exonerate Manson via the copycat scenario failed. On March 29, 1971, the jury returned verdicts of death against all four defendants on all counts. On April 19, 1971, Judge Older sentenced the four to death. Hey there, still awake? If you liked this podcast, please hit subscribe and leave a rating in your podcast app. The podcast is available under Creative Commons Attribution. This podcast is produced and edited by Schönlein Media and read by me, Riv Karofstein. <laughs>